0: Welcome to the Return of the Primal Endurance podcast. This is your host Brad Kearns and we are going on a journey to a kinder, gentler, smarter, more fun, more effective way to train for ambitious endurance goals. visit primalendurance.fit to join the community and enroll in our free video course. I'm so excited to introduce you to peluva. This is a new, Please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. Hey, I picked this upcoming show to rebroadcast because you're not going to hear from two more thoughtful guys than the Canadian duo of Andrew McNaughton, my co-host on this show, and our guest... Olympic gold and Olympic silver medalist Simon Whitfield. My previous intro tees up the show nicely, so let's give it a listen. Enjoy. So happy to tee up this very, very special podcast where Andrew McNaughton and I catch up with the Olympic gold medalist and Olympic silver medalist in triathlon, Simon Whitfield of Canada. And the show was really fast moving and we're all old friends, especially Andrew and Simon go way back to the very beginning of Simon's career when Andrew was sort of a mentor and a coach, advisor. Uh, Andrew being older and having finished his racing career, but having that Canadian connection and Uh, Andrew being a part of Simon coming up and absolutely shocking the world of triathlon with his unbelievable Olympic gold medal victory in the very first Olympic triathlon when the sport debuted at the Sydney Olympics in 2000. So since the show proceeds so quickly, I wanted to give a little background information on the co-host Andrew and I and then of course Simon so that you can really lock into the conversation as it flows along. And uh, we focus on his Olympic victory because it was such an amazing moment in the sport. It was right there in downtown Sydney, a showcase event for the television broadcast that happened uh, right at the beginning of the Olympics. So all eyes were on triathlon. A lot of the sports weren't going yet. And here's this guy, Simon, who was not at all a favorite. He was a guy on the circuit. He was getting some, you know, top finishes in the top five, top ten. But out of nowhere... And out of a a crash on the bike course during the bike segment where, you know, it looked like his race day might be over, um, he came through with one of the most amazing and beautiful victories ever in the sport of triathlon. And the beautiful part of it, and he gets into this a little bit as he talks about his mindset during the race, uh, the beautiful part was at the very end when he was really, really far behind with, let's say, 1,000 meters to go, The uh, leading guy from Germany, Vukovic, had a huge lead on Simon and it looked like it was a, a foregone conclusion that this guy would win the gold and Simon would get the silver or bronze, but the intensity and the look on Simon's face as he chased this guy down with such fury, was unforgettable. And you're going to have to go on YouTube and watch this amazing sprint finish where he catches the guy in the final meters, you know, the final run up to the finish line and passes him and breaks this tape for the most phenomenal gold medal you'll ever see. So we talk about that a bit, but I think the most important elements of the show are the really thoughtful and deep and progressive mindset that both Simon and Andrew present when they're talking about training and racing and competing in this really high-intensity and uh, macho testosterone contest sport where it's just turning on the gas pedal and going as fast as you can. It's pretty straightforward, unlike golf or tennis where you have these psychological things and these technique issues. Triathlon is pretty much of a macho contest to see who's trained the hardest, who can take the most pain and (laughs) and suffer and get to the finish line first. But behind all that, behind that aggression on race day, is there's a lot of nuance to it. You have to learn how to take care of your body, and you have to learn how to take care of your mind, and your moods, and your work ethic, and you're balancing that work ethic with a sensibility to balance your life, and your stress and rest levels, and process defeat and discouragement, and also process incredible, shocking success that changes your life overnight, like what happened to Simon. So you got to listen to this show carefully, maybe, maybe even play it at single speed instead of one and a half or two speed, which you sometimes play a lot of podcasts. I know I like to do it because I can hear more podcasts that way, and I really don't miss anything. But at this one, I think you should go back to single speed because uh, the little tidbits that Simon offers up and Andrew offer up as they converse um, really have a lot of great meaning and a lot of application to... Not only athletes pursuing goals and endurance athletes pursuing goals and locking in exactly to the triathlon talk, but anyone, whether it's pursuing a career goal or being the best you can be as a parent or in a relationship or just moderate fitness goals. It's really important to get this deeper level of psychology When you're talking about going out there and and achieving goals rather than just turning on that gas pedal and going with blinders on and like that all these other things don't matter. And in the Primal Endurance book, there's a little nice passage sidebar from Andrew where he talks about, you know, as he became more and more experienced in the sport, he realized that the the best way to dictate his workout patterns were to identify his moods and aligned his workout choices with that. And it's so refreshing to hear something like that rather than people going on and on about the regimented programming and and paying a, a coach or a service to spit out workouts that are Predictive of success, but have nothing to do with all the nuances of real life. So, I think that's enough blabbing for me right now. But I really wanted to set up these guys as two of the most progressive and thoughtful minds in the sport. And I know you'll enjoy this show, especially catching up with Simon now that he's in retirement and pursuing different goals like these incredible stand up paddling adventures in Victoria, Canada. So, it's a really wide ranging show. Whether you're an endurance athlete or a competitive athlete or not, I think you will love listening to the three of us catch up on the podcast thanks a lot for listening it's Brad Kearns here we go with Andrew McNaughton former all-time great Canadian professional triathlete and still racing at the age group level he was national champion a couple years ago and the legendary Simon Whitfield also from Canada 2000 Olympic gold medalist in triathlon and 2008 Olympic silver medalist in triathlon enjoy the show welcome listeners it's Brad Kearns with an exciting high-tech episode where I'm sitting here with our favorite guest, Andrew McNaughton, but we have patched in a very special old friend. Andrew, I think you should introduce who's uh, on the line from Canada. On the line we have today uh, Simon
1: Whitfield, a two-time Olympic medalist, four-time Olympian, and longtime friend. I think we're coming up on 19 years. Oh my goodness, you were one of my original coaches. Hey, Mac, it's been a long time. It, it's been a
2: wonderful, wonderful long time, yes. Uh, yeah, I think, I think back to so a lot of the things I learned from you back then, I still apply now. So, uh, And you too, Kernsey, you too, Kernsey. I, uh, I definitely, uh, between the two of you, uh, it's been a great learning journey and a lot of laughs shared, so I, it's fun to be on your podcast.
0: Yeah, we got into your head when you were a young athlete and um, uh, informed you to do all the thing, uh, do as we say, not as we did. And I think it, uh, we, we take a lot of credit for your success because you're know, looking at these guys and like, now, wait a second, are you guys like 50 years old? And I'm like, no, dude, we're 35. Come on. <laughs> you know, we just trained too hard a little bit. Uh, but listeners, Simon it was a young Canadian triathlete, very talented young athlete uh, coming around to the... Um, the turn of the century in 2000 and everyone in triathlon got the exciting news that it was going to become an Olympic sport debuting at the Sydney Olympic games. And not only debuting, but being a centerpiece of the television coverage because they had the downtown theatrical setting on the waterfront and the Sydney Harbor. Um, And so triathlon was all of a sudden going to come from an obscure sport that had its grassroots following and their magazines and their little races around And now all of a sudden it was on the big stage. And so there were some leading athletes at the time, some of the Aussies and Germans and American guys that were, you know, bombing the circuit and had long careers leading up to that culmination of 2000. And you were kind of an up and coming guy. uh, But I don't think anyone considered you a favorite going into that Sydney games. I mean, how many international victories had you had on the, on the ITU circuit leading up to the Olympics?
2: Oh, many in my head, but not on paper. Uh, Hold on, the the connection's a little a little scratchy. Did you say zero? I think zero. I think I may have had. Zero. <laughs> oh no, that's not true. I had I'd had some I had success, some success. I'd, ha, I'd been second at a World Cup in uh, in Rio, actually, to Dimitri Gag, and uh, I believe in Cornerbrook also. So, so I, I understood that I could I could run with the big boys, but uh, I certainly hadn't put down a result that that would line up someone to uh, place a large bet on me, although I'm, I, hope Mc, I, hope, I hope Andrew McNaughton
0: did. Good, I'd like to place a large wager. Yeah, we flew to London and hit the bookmakers up. Um, so that's setting the stage for going into this event. And um, you've talked about it over and over, but these are listeners that might not be familiar with the 2000 Olympic triathlon. So I don't know, maybe Andrew as the storyteller could, could talk about what he saw that day on TV when, Tears were coming to his eyes when Simon crashed and thought that was it for him.
1: I, re- I remember that well, the way I do, uh, with my jaded and optimistic perspective on everything. Uh, I remember several things about that race, and I, you, know, you, can, you can fill in how you thought. I remember you getting off your bike and thinking, oh no. And then I was looking at you, it's like, he is totally at peace with this. It's not bothering him at all. And that was amazing to me. It was a, just wonderful to see. And
2: it was a funny, was it was that? funny.
1: I have a funny memory
2: of that crash because I have a exactly what you're saying a clarity of uh, it, it it becoming a, a moment a, a galvanizing moment of around wow my fitness is there and I, w- I felt so calm even when when the crash when people were crashing around me that the path became very clear through the crash and to get back up and to catch up to the lead group again felt that it was that moment where I, was, I, I really appreciated the fitness that I had brought to the event. And then the sense of calm. I didn't panic. I didn't have. Uh, I didn't let any kind of negative. This is over, creep into my head. I just. I just. I was on a mission, so I. I, I made my way back to the lead pack, and that. Uh, once I got there, I had that. That. That feeling of well, wait a minute. I'm. I'm in for something special today because that. That happened in a way in which, I don't know that 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 people would call it flow or whatever you wanted that the zone and, and, and as an athlete you you don't necessarily acknowledge that moment when you're in it but uh, coming back into the pack and realizing that i had been able to come through a crash and, and get back up there really set in my mind where that this was a special day and that I was embarking on uh, really expressing my fitness and all the fitness and all the hard work I put into that but also doing something that I, I could so clearly see in my mind's eye of of what what you know what, what result I wanted to see out of this, how I pictured this so many times. And I had worked through the scenarios of a crash. So I simply followed a, almost on an autopilot setting of, of calmly executing, getting back to the group, and then putting myself in a position to be able to compete to uh, hear the anthem.
0: So listeners, just in case you were worried that this was going to be an old-time rehash of uh, athletic yeah. events, the reason I wanted to get you on, Simon, and talk... Uh, talk about a lot of things, but, you know, go through some of this stuff because I think right away we're getting this perspective of what uh, what what a special athlete and what kind of a special perspective you brought to the sport rather than just this, you know, foot on the gas pedal and train hard and kick ass. Um, you really had a thoughtful approach. And those are the kind of things that I believe, you know, bring magic to an athlete and, and being being calm in the face of you know, a disastrous crash in the bloody Olympics. So thanks for setting the uh, the tone and giving those comments. And now we're going to continue with the race recount. Well, what I wanted to add
1: was one of the things that I noticed and learned from Simon is how open he was to other people's input. And I never was, I wanted to figure it out by myself, you know, and, and sort of do the puzzle in my head. And Simon's way smarter and much, much better approach than mine. He was always asking questions and wondering what other people did and, and say, well, they have success. I wonder what they're doing and what I can, inco- can, can I incorporate into my program so that, you know, maybe I can have more success. And that was one of your, you know, one of the things about you that makes you a genius.
2: I, I'm a keen learner. I, I, love, uh, I love finding out what people's passion is and, and understanding what they do. Uh, I love playing the game. Tell me about that. And it works uh, both from a personal perspective I mean, in terms of you know the way in which you learn and the way in which you can apply what other people are doing to what you're doing. Um, and and it, it crosses all subjects. I, I don't care whether it's uh, what subject it is. I love learning about what people's passion is. And so my approach to racing and training and, and preparing myself for triathlon was, well, I, I saw it very much like a game. I saw it very much like a, almost like a board game where you made, strategic moves you understood the tactics and you understand how to learn and appreciate what other people were doing and you, you said it before that if you get into that i know what i'm doing phase where you're like no no i'm good i know exactly what i'm doing there certainly is some confidence to gain from that and there's a place for that when when you really uh, ratchet down and focus in and you you start to you you eliminate other inputs because at some point you do need to focus in. But there's a period in all those Olympic cycles, particularly, and for anybody, whatever they're doing, they they need to incorporate. I believe you need to incorporate that in is that learning phase where you're just open to all new information. And I did that after every Olympics. I went to Hamish Carter after he won in Athens and sat down and said, What do you know? What are you doing? Tell me about it. And I was surprised. One of the things he told me afterwards is like nobody really asked him. Not a lot of athletes were sitting down. They kind of just assumed he, okay, well, that's how Hamish does it, but this is how I do it. by sitting down, and I, Amish actually asked me a couple times. He said, "Well, you, surely you mustn't already know this stuff." I said, yeah, "Yeah, I do. I know a lot of that, but to hear him say it again was validating for the way I was doing it. And then to pick into the the nuances of what he was doing and the finer details, and really be able to to see in his approach ways in which I could do it that that definitely helped. And I, I repeated that process all the way through my career. And at, at times, it led me on paths that weren't necessarily the most productive. I it definitely led me on paths where later I, I kind of look back and think ah, I went too far down that path there was there was too many flaws in that that I couldn't see and but that failure is part of that process as you refine 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 and and take a more uh, systematic approach but it continues to acknowledge that learning is the most important thing
1: the other moment that I remember fondly in the 2000 Olympics was when you were running side by side with I think it was Steven Vukovic is that how you pronounce his name yeah, Buko, yeah, yeah Yeah, and um he put in a surge and he started to pull away from you and your body language started to change like oh so close and now i'm going to be second and then he looked back and within a half a second your body language you started to stand up straighter and you're like oh i'm gonna win <laughs> that self-dialogue at that that narrative
2: you you know your self-narrative it's just incredible what it does to you and you're absolutely right that that if, I bet you if Foucault could go back and do one thing, he wouldn't do the look back. Because it, uh, it certainly changed the narrative in my head. I I'd started to, to talk about in my head, well, you know, second's pretty good, too. The silver medal's awesome. I mean, that would be pretty cool. And I'm this is all, I, I'm at my threshold. I can't compete with this, this big, strong German now. And that, that narrative starts to creep in. And I started thinking about Jan Rahula behind me in third, thinking, well, bronze would be good, too. I mean, bronze is still a medal. And, uh, and then with Dimitri Gag coming, uh, the, one of the best closers in triathlon and he was in, I thought, no, I don't want to come fourth. And then to see Vuko look back for a split second and, and realizing that he had taken, he hadn't looked at the course properly and, and, and he was, he'd gone the long way coming down Macquarie street. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, made up a couple free meters and then the most important, uh, learning there was that my narrative changed. In my head, you know I thought well, you know well silver's good, bronze is okay, but gold's better, that's better. I could hear the anthem, and that's that internal narrative just you know it, it lights you up it, it when you uh when you can really tap into a very positive and thoughtful uh, and concentrated uh internal narrative where you simply just let go and, and go. That's where I got to. And, and I would say you're right. There was that moment of where your body language changes, where you start to descend down, where you start to not, your structure changes, your physical, your physical presence changes, but also your, the, the way in which your, your internal narrative is going is so critical. And that moment really was, uh, was true to that.
0: Uh, listeners, you can go look at YouTube, uh, the Sydney Olympic triathlon men's final and see what we're talking about visually. And I think it's worth doing. You because, can see it's like
2: grainy old.
0: <laughs> where now someone could capture that on their old cheap cell phone even better. Yeah, that's right. And it in uh, uh, 10, 10% of the time. Um, yeah. But what I noticed was so amazing was this guy had a huge royal ass lead. He was running to the gold medal. And it was absolutely certain that uh, Vukovic was going to win. And you were so freaking far behind with 1K left or something. I mean, there was no chance... To make up that kind of gap. But then what the viewer sees um, is this guy in the lead of the Olympics about to win the gold medal, looking back, looking back again, looking back again, and you just launching into this unbelievable sprint where you would not be denied and you were going to go until the very last step of that race. And it was um, interesting in the aftermath to hear your comments, which you just expressed so nicely. Um, But the other athlete saying that he realized he was in the medals And he was so happy that he was going to win an Olympic medal. And that was sort of a contrasting mindset to you um, thinking about how nice gold would be. Um, And, you know, sure enough, it kind of manifested that way because um, it was, it was shocking to see him lose that large of a lead in such a short period of time.
2: It's funny because I I reapplied that logic in, in 2008 in Beijing when, uh, when I lay down all my cards figuring, well, people will settle for medals and if I take off, early they'll they'll despite the fact that i'll be in an enormous amount of discomfort they'll give up and uh i you know with the enra hula run still running over top of me he he did it on a on a big on a big well-prepared engine but uh i think the other guys settled a little bit for for different results and it definitely plays that way your mind will play funny tricks on you and if you uh it will settle for things for sure. And so I, I learned the, I learned both sides of that lesson many times. But I would say in case of in Sydney, it, it was you're right. Yeah. And, uh, um, Vukovic later said, you know, I, I realized I was winning a silver medal. And if you see him running down the, the finishing shoot, he's fully and utterly celebrating. And it's really a wonderful moment as you know, we were two guys that had come up together on the circuit and had shared so much even the morning of the race, we'd shared a whole bunch of time together. And and to be on that on that podium together was pretty special. And but you're you know I, I'm actually glad for him, and I know I know in years later he said he's so glad he celebrated a second instead of um, bemoaning uh, bemoaning losing first. And I and I appreciate that. I, I I certainly appreciate that we celebrate the results that we do get instead of bemoaning what we didn't get.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people get so caught up in um, uh, attachment to outcomes and go home disappointed and discouraged. And that's a really tough way to go through life. And the athletes know that you can't, uh, you know, you you can't operate in that manner and be happy, just uh, totally attached to all the outcomes. So you celebrate whatever you get. Um, so anyway, you cross the line, man, and all of a sudden you went from Simon Whitfield, one of the most famous triathletes in the entire Victoria, BC, Western, uh, area. To a world celebrity because Canada doesn't win a ton of Olympic gold medals at my in my estimation. So tell us how your life changed uh, after you crossed that finish line.
2: like <laughs> world famous. Um, no, I I mean it changed a lot. It, it uh, I've had moments where sometimes I wish that it happened a little later. My career was certainly um, it's an it's an odd experience to be 24 and and go so quickly from. You know, uh, working your way up towards the top to suddenly being, being at having an Olympic gold medal. And in that case, now all of a sudden you have a target on your back. And that definitely changed the way in which I, I trained and approached my career after that. And, and certainly came with so, an incredible amount of how did I get here moments, whether it was having lunch with the Queen of England or Sir Edmund Hillary. But those things don't necessarily draw you back to what made you successful, which is the love of sport. I mean, and that's if you go through the career trajectories of, of great athlete, of any athlete or great athletes of anybody with, with successes, you really notice that the people who love it, the people who can truly love what they do, they stay at the top, they stay. And that cycle repeats the moment when they start to succumb to that pressure and that that feeling of everybody around you just, just pulling in and pulling in and taking away and, and that expectation is you start to lose the love of it and then the results follow. And that that trend plays out over and over and over again with, with well, I'm sure across all spectrums, but in this case, athletics, where when you love it, you get the most out of yourself. And when you start to not love it, and it, it descends into that almost resentment where you're like, resent that you do this and it's the only thing you do. The results also follow that trajectory with uh, downwards, and and that that plays out over and over again. And so I would I would say that the lesson I have learned coming out of sport is that if you love it, you'll find the most success. And if you if you can't find a way into which to love it, and you and you focus in on the negatives, the fear of failure, then then your results will follow that, and it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy.
1: I think that that's a perfect description of my last couple of years. Is it? That- Uh, the joy and the love was gone it was a job you know i dreaded going to the races i dreaded putting out the effort that you have to put out in the first half of the swim to stay in to stay with the lead group and uh yeah so consequently i started doing less well and uh lost interest and at 30 i was done
2: yeah and that plays out You'll, you'll hear that story play out over and over again it's finding finding the love for it, and part of the finding the love for it is keeping it within perspective, isn't it? It's not reaching that one step too far where you just continuously push yourself, not just physically but mentally beyond where you're. Where eventually that little governor in your brain comes along and says, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa let's let's take a let's take a step back here. We're 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 cashing chips we don't necessarily have for later." And that and your love of it starts to as the pressure comes in and be p- other people's expectations and. In my case, a lot of the politics of sport came into it. And that just it degrades your experience and eventually degrades your results.
1: Yeah, the same sort of thing. I had the politics as well. So I got uh, another thing to ask you is, um, are you uh, mentoring any of the young athletes in Canada or Australia or any other country that would knock on your door or give you a ring?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm always open to uh, to having a chat and, and being part of that mentoring process as I learned so much from it.
1: Um,
2: I haven't been doing that within the world of triathlon simply because I, I feel like I needed a break. I think <laughs> within Canada, uh, Canadian triathlon needed a break for me too. So that's, that's worked out well and we come through this Olympic cycle and, and the athletes head into Rio and I've had very little, if anything, to do with anyone's preparation coming into that, though... I've spent time on the phone with some athletes and some coaches. Um, my, for me, it's been the, I've moved a little bit away from that mentoring role, and maybe it's a mistake, but it's in terms of just you, you know, you spend so much time in that world around high performance and, and all of the expectation and, and, and privilege that comes with it and taking t- that that time comes from somewhere and so my mentoring time now is spent with my children and uh, and my family and the, the last three years have really been about rebuilding that relationship um as the other side of being so committed and loving something so much as you put off you you often put some uh, other things on on to the side you make sacrifices um that you that sometimes you have to pay for later and so i spent the last three years uh, reconnecting with family and, and reconnecting with that mentoring role I play with my children and and, and, the, and the teaching role that they play with me. Um and it's I've moved away from that a little bit. And uh, although I, I'm, it's not something I'll stay away from, but I have certainly enjoyed being able to focus in more on the needs of my, you know, the people who are closest to me.
1: Well you know from witnessing my experience that I did the same thing when I retired, I had to get away from it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But it's but it's fun. To, it's fun to rehash, and it's fun to help young and new people. You and know? you learn
2: so much from it, don't you? It's the sharing those experiences and oh sharing.
1: yeah. And and it reignites your your love of the sport because I remember when I was working with you, and when I'm working now with people who are new to the sport, you get to see it again through fresh eyes, you know. And you remember all the things that you loved about it when you were new. And whether I want to race every weekend like some people want to do um, is probably never going to happen. But the fact that I love to be in shape and I love to do it again and I like talking about it and I like helping people, that is what's new, which is fun because, I, like I said, I get to see it all and I and I have my own memories. and I have my memories that I went through with you and I have my memories that I went through with other people that I've coached along the way. And it's, yeah, it's really quite quite nice for me now
2: yeah drawing on that and being able to share that experience really again it's it, it teaches we learn so much from it too don't we? as you as you express something you say oh yeah that's that's actually what i think about that i hadn't really thought about that and <laughs> i certainly I've had many of those moments where you're asked hard questions and you have to really sit with it. And sometimes you don't always, don't always have the answer at that time, but you sit with it, sit with it, sit with it. And, and it comes to you in a reflection of like, oh, that's why I behave like that. You know, as you're giving an advice, not even advice is the wrong word, as you're entering a discussion with someone and, and acknowledging their perspective and understanding where they're coming from in terms of their own challenges and their own passions. And then it helps you understand yours. And I, I yeah, I really enjoy that process.
1: I I do too. And and that's exactly the way I word it. I was like, I I word it with, well, I'll share my perspective with you. Yeah. You know, and uh, you can take it. You're a different person. So take it or leave it. But uh, it's something to think about. But yeah, I love those questions where you where you're like, Hmm, I've never thought about it in that respect before. Let me take a moment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like how you guys uh, caught yourself, Simon, when you when you um, said the word advice, and then you caught yourself and reframe that. It's very interesting, because a lot of times we um, fall into these modes where we have these all-knowing experts, with especially in this sporting world where they they brandish their resume around and they collect money for dispensing their expert advice, and that's you know that's the ultimate uh, coaching relationship, and it, it, it's it's missing a lot of elements. And so you guys being more thoughtful, um, you know what Confucius said about giving advice? Said, "Beware of giving advice. Wise men don't need it, and fools won't heed it." So rather go. give you know sharing perspective, listening, and engaging in a common interest, um, I, I really like how you guys uh, frame that. I'm pleased to present B Rad grass-fed whey protein isolate superfuel, the absolute highest quality, all natural protein supplement infused with creatine. That delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please Don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners, especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy 3 get 1 free and make the superfuel a centerpiece of your daily routine
2: it also re- helps you reveal hard truths and uh, though hard truths come with sharp edges they're also the, the the source of the greatest learning and that's if you're giving advice you're not you're you're most you're unlikely or if if not if it's impossible to to reveal hard truths about yourself and so having those discussions and being open to where other people have uh, an input that's either very specific to you or is speaking about them, but helps you reveal something about yourself. It's those hard truths. And like I said, they, they don't, they don't come softly. They, those hard truths come with, with sharp edges, but they also teach you the most. And if you're in an open discussion, then then you certainly open yourself up to, to be in a place to receive more of that. And, and that's where the greatest learnings come from. And that's that self-knowledge that leads to self-efficacy is, is the most important thing. I believe the most important thing you can do is, is that personal development journey and the self-knowledge that comes with that, that reinforces your own self-efficacy. And, and that's the greatest place you can learn from, grow from. And it comes from not giving advice, but participating in discussion and, 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 and inquisition and being, you know, being, being thoughtful and, and understanding that other people have different perspectives and different needs and different troubles. And I've, I've enjoyed that process. And the people who've, who've helped me the most have, have let me come to those conclusions myself as they help guide us through that instead of just giving advice on you should do that. And that's really hard. You know? It's a hard lesson to learn
0: in itself. Wow. So for hard truth, I mean, um, when Scott Molina saw me on the beach in Bermuda in 1987, I was kind of burnt out and struggling. And he said, Hey, Kearns, you're looking a little soft. Would, would that count as a hard truth you think
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah those are sometimes those are hard truths I
0: mean, that's an easy truth because there's an easy
2: solution to that uh, yeah. hard truths usually relay on some a behavior of the past or a way in which you interact with people where you're like oh I do do that and
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember uh, Peter Colson uh, Peter Colson used to call me up in my last year of racing 94 after every race and he he'd say current um, you suck, man. You should fucking retire. I remember when you were fast. Now you stink. And um, he's a he's a, a funny guy and that's sort of like what he would do. But, you know, as the years have gone on, I've told him and told others, like, I really appreciate his candor because he was right and I was off my best and I was never going to get back to that point. And everyone around you when you're in this athletic realm and you're, you have a support team and everybody's, you know, cheering you on um a lot of times you don't get those hard truths and so you you know you exist in a vacuum where you don't realize your frailties and your weaknesses because no one's pointing them out.
1: Oh
2: absolutely and you're almost encouraged to behave in a way in which other people in some places they you're almost encouraged to behave in a way in which you continue to maybe demean yourself and but other people are adding to that list saying like as they as they become yes people to you, they're not serving uh, as as great a function as they could because they're not giving necessarily the greatest answers in terms of their their priority isn't always your long term happiness. A lot of it is just satisfying your short term, you know, uh, prima donna ness.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps uh, making money off you. And Lance Armstrong has brought this up, saying that um, he didn't have a lot of perspective in his world because he was the he was the tyrant and everyone else was sucking up to him. Oh, I mean, he's like such a—he's—he's he's the classic
2: example of that, isn't he? So you've got this whole uh, industry that existed around him, and nobody—and certainly, I'm sure—he's not exactly letting people in and letting and being vulnerable. But people aren't allowing him to be vulnerable either because they have an expectation of of how a certain person will be and and what they can get from that person. And it certainly not doesn't come without accountability. And I can relate very strong, very much so to that, where you feel so much pressure, you feel so much expectation around and you feel so much. You also feel that you you can see these people kind of on the peripheral sitting there with an ax waiting to just chop that tree, your tree down. And that becomes very difficult. It becomes a very difficult world to exist in when there's not an open communication to that. And it starts with ourselves. Obviously, we have to be open to that. But I would agree with him that that when you're treated like a tyrant, People behave often the way in which we treat they don't often. They, they behave in which the way in which we, we treat them and we see them. And in that case, you know, you're almost he's he's seen it you're seen as a tyrant, so you're treated like a tyrant. So funnily enough, you behave like a tyrant. I mean, this is a self fulfilling thing where where if we take a step back and don't necessarily label people with, Okay, hey, you're like this, but we just accept them and their vulnerabilities, then then they continue to grow and in turn we continue to
1: grow. So another thing that i wanted to talk to you about simon was when i was competing i was lucky to have a friend like brad and we shared all of our our all of our thinking and our philosophies and we trained together most days and um i took great pride in any race that he did well in and i took great pride in any race that i did well in and it was you know i gave us both credit for both of those and i think that's part of the reason i have this delusional belief that I probably did better than I actually did, because in my head, I'm taking credit for Brad's successes as well, because I believe that I was such a huge part of them. Um, and I know you've spoken about this before with other people about the importance of team and not just looking at yourself, but looking at helping others and improving. And by that, you see a different perspective and maybe learn something that's valuable for yourself in your journey.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's sharing that with training partners and and uh, other athletes or other friends being uh, that's a big part of it, isn't it? Um, avoiding that was it Schadenfreude, where <laughs> you're hoping the people around you don't do well so it reflects better on you. Um, that's a dangerous and slippery slope. And so I did. I I took great pride in, in the efforts and and results of the people the people in which I I had discourse with that I had a kinship with, and and I really enjoyed that part. I, I mean, I remember. Ironman Canada when Jasper Blake won, just being absolutely, utterly ecstatic at seeing such a good friend do so well at something that they poured their heart and soul into. And, and that reward is as good as, as so often is as good, if not better, in ways to share in that journey of someone else. And I will say that through, through four Olympics, if you look back, at, if I were to look back at like what was the common theme between success and failure, quote unquote success, quote unquote failure. I would say that as I was in a place where the knowledge was being shared and the journey was being shared and people really understood their their role in it, they really felt uh, entrenched and empowered to to make decisions and to be, you know, they understood what was, what was in it for them, where their learnings would be and where, where their joy would be. And when we all shared in that, we saw the greatest success. And I saw that in Sydney and I saw that in Beijing. But between Athens and London, I saw the exact opposite. I, I retrenched back to not sharing the journey with other people simply to making demands of others and not being parcel to their experience and not being not putting uh, power and weight into what where where they contributed and it really affected the way in which uh, our our team operated and ultimately the the results showed that when the knowledge wasn't being shared and, and people weren't on the same page success didn't follow and that would be the I would say the, the greatest learning I gained, I gained from a comparison of that, you know, between quote-unquote success and quote-unquote failure.
0: And we thought it was just your workout times that predicted your Olympic results, <laughs>
2: Incredible. <laughs> yeah. And there you go. I mean, I was, in, I, I was in great shape in Athens. I was in great shape in London, and both times didn't have the results because I went into those races with, a, with
0: having self-sabotaged. Um, just uh, briefly, for the timeline, listeners might not be familiar with all the Olympics. Um, so Sydney was 2,000. You burst onto the scene. You had that gold medal. Athens was two thousand four. Um, I what'd you get? Thirteenth or something? eleventh, uh, which is two two oh, sorry, Simon. Back to back ones. That's like two firsts. One, one, one. Okay. Athens was eleven. Then you came back to Beijing. And by this time, it's two thousand and eight. And eight years is a long time to be in that in that role. And so you were kind of on the um, you know, on on the other side of the rainbow at that point, and again, not a huge favorite. So your silver medal there was a remarkable performance in many ways, right, Andrew? But what he had going into Beijing,
1: um, he'd regained the playfulness and the joy in the sport again. And he had fun playing with the other athletes and getting in their heads. And, and I think that uh, that's one of the things that Simon and I have in common. That that's part of the fun is the game, you know. And, um, and you, were, you, know, you were trying to figure out, okay, these people... Um, you know, to do this, I, I need to make sure that they're at 97% in, in their belief that they can win, because if they're 100%, there's nothing I can do about it, you know. And so you were talking to them and being nice and smiley and, <laughs> and just working a little bit away. And, you know, it, it was it was so much fun to, to watch, even from the distance that I was at, um, and talk to you a little bit, and, and yeah. And listen to what you talked, what you said afterwards. It was, it was, it was fun. And that's the way I like to do it. I remember going to races and looking at somebody's, you know, gears and like, Oh, you're really going to use those gears. Huh? That's an interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> and just give, give them something to think about before the race starts. You know? <laughs> yeah. That part of it. I, I
2: certainly enjoy that part of it. Also that it's a double-edged sword because I certainly know when, I I could absolutely pin the moment things changed for me in that realm where when I tried to do that with Alistair Brownlee, he put me back in my place and reminded me I was just an old wolf and to get back in my cave. <laughs> and I didn't have the fight to come out, you know. I didn't have the. I kind of did the like, yeah, cool. Oh, it's it's warm and comfortable in there. I'll see you in a bit. <laughs> and uh, that certainly changed for me. But I definitely I enjoyed that that part of it that. That mental preparation is everything. You know, you get that that hilarious conversation. Is it ninety percent mental? You know, ten percent physical. You know, it's hundred percent mental. The entire exercise, everything we do is a mental exercise. And in that case, there's some fine tuning and some and some uh, we're going to call them games, but they're just part of the architecture of how you prepare. And I, I loved it. I love that part. I I thrived on that part. And of course, like I said, it's a double edged sword. But it's an uh, mm-hmm. immense amount of learning that comes from. From playing that 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 game, and I really enjoyed that. It was
1: fun. It's also fun to see who you have no effect on whatsoever, and it's fun to see who you do have an effect on. I mean, it's amazing that you know it, it, people are, are so sensitive to these things. And and as as someone who liked to play with people's noggins when I was competing, it was fun to witness the people who who you you're like, wow, I can't believe that that they're actually listening to what I'm saying.
2: And then there's those that are under listening, aren't there? <laughs>
0: Simon Andrew's favorite technique for in in racing or even in workouts was whenever he would make a really super strong aggressive pass on a hill, it would be in conjunction with taking a long leisurely sip of the water bottle (laughs) while passing the guy. And so you're gripping the bars, you know, as hard as you can, and trying to trying to stay with this strong move. And he's like sitting up on his tops, and, and just taking a nice drink, like you know, he's taking a break from his his faster pace, and it, it messes with your head so bad. I mean, you can't even you can't even believe it. I love
2: it. That's really. And then you
0: ask, uh, how are you doing? You want some water?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, good for you. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: uh, the good old days. There so, you so you seem to be fun and playful and and uh, full of energy these days. What are you What are you doing that, that keeps you going? Oh man,
2: paddling, paddling yeah. and yoga. Though yoga is so de hard that I don't always go. Um, but I would say that renewed. I mean, I really look at, and I, we, I at times I I might have paid for this in the results spectrum, but I'm coached by my 80 year old self now. Um, I really I really try and look at things from a long term perspective of how do I respect and treat my body so that my my 80 year old self doesn't call back to my 40 year old self and say. What the fuck were you doing? Don't do that to me. <laughs> so I think the best place for me, and I really, I mean, uh, I sometimes stand up paddling gets called sea sweeping, um, the brooms, broomers of the ocean. But uh, a stand up paddling and that connection to being out, outside, and in, in, in amongst it, and the way in which it, it strengthens and you're both your your body and your mind, I I can't get enough paddling. So. My sanity revolves, I mean, look, I just had my kids for five days. Uh, we've got three kids running around the house. It's your, your amount of space and time by yourself is diminished down to virtually nothing. And and I can survive that when I know that at the end of it, uh, not only am I going to have this cherished time with my kids, but also I'm going to get out paddling. And so yesterday I dropped the kids off at school, headed up drove out to where the ferry terminal is and, and embarked on yet another Monsters paddle and I just I cannot get enough uh getting out there and finding a I found my office yesterday was on the end of Cole harbor island and and I just bring my I bring my book bring my my uh my work journal I I set up camp there for as many hours as I can uh, sustain and uh and get work done with the with space around me and really immersed in it and that keeps me sane and when I don't do it I really struggle I really struggle and if I don't get if I don't get that exercise and that sleep and that space and I will say that one thing coming out of sport that just struck me was, I think actually I wasn't good at sport. I was just, I I loved being alone. <laughs> and so having that space and, and really thriving on having your own space and being out there alone and immersed in your own thoughts and your own uh, activity and your own preparation is, is such a joy. And I, uh, I don't get enough of that now. And when I, and I struggle when I don't, and when I truly do struggle when I, when I don't get enough of that, but I also see the huge benefits of when I do, when I, when I'm able to get outside and truly get some space and that oh, the ocean for me is the ultimate there's no there's no faking it out there and in, in this case you know I can paddle out into the Strait of Juan de Fuca 7k out and you can sit on your board and you can see in every direction not a soul and that space to take a, a true deep deep breath and and do whatever you need to do and that might include crying your eyes out uh it, it that's so powerful for me and I, I cherish 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 that time. What about the orcas, man? No, and you see some orcas, or you go out to the race rocks, and, and uh, you follow an eagle around until it lands on a big rock of a big big uh, on a little island of moving rocks, and you think, wait a minute, those aren't moving rocks; those are sea lions, and I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so those moments too, I can't get enough. I, uh, my future will will entail living further up uh, Vancouver Island, in amongst Desolation Sound and the Broughton Archipelago, and and taking people on tours, and and really showing, you know, exploring and seeing a, a, a place in a way of life that I just, I need. I I love being out exploring. And so uh, that will be, yes, to see orcas, to see sea lions, to see, uh, to have a seal, you know, flip up and jump on your board. There's a one of the world's best prone paddlers, Jack Bark. I paddled with him two years ago and he had this incredible experience where a small baby seal leapt up on his board and just sat there and and to that to be able to interact with nature in that way is so special. So so special. And I, I think being on the ocean is my is my place of reserve. It's my best place.
1: That sounds delightful. Yeah. Come up anytime, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never tried stand up paddling. I don't know if I could do it.
2: You will be I tell you, I really I come back to this. If I could, I wish I had stand up through my career. Uh, that time and connection is such a unique medium where you're you know you're putting this paddle in the water and you're connected with that and that sense people talk about oh it's good for your core and they think of it in terms of a very simplistic view of your core but as an over over body a full body workout where you're so connected with with something it's feels so unique and it's it the strength that it builds and the coordination it builds as you strengthen your feet as you strengthen your perception of where the board is and then you're able to move around on the board in a way uh, through choppy water, I—I I mean, I—that's I, basically I do that. I do yo- I think yoga is the most important thing people can do. But if you have an opportunity to get out and really get into paddling and, and narrow the board down, so you so it becomes more and more challenging, you can the strength I find from that and the, and the ability, my ability to focus. I've had the most profound moments of focus and like everything coming into this very very narrow window of uh, this very narrow view. Of, of where i need to go and what i need to do I've, I've experienced that most profoundly out paddling i've also scared myself the most out paddling and i i like that part <laughs> um, so i would say paddling is such a special place to be it's it's, it's the last thing i'd ever give up
0: <laughs> wow uh, you know mark sisson's huge on the paddling and always has a chance to plug that in the books and the podcast so that's that's really cool and uh you should come down to malibu sometime and uh Try it in some warm water, so when you fall, you don't have to be scared. Oh, I love
2: it. Between there, we we do something called downwinding. So we go out to William Head Prison, which is out along the coast, uh, and it's a straight shot at 17 kilometers to downtown Victoria. Wow. If you get a westerly, you'll get a 30 knot tailwind, and you just and you you set off from William Head Prison and uh, into downtown, and you are out there. On, I mean, I'll, I'll be out there with my with my big buddy Dave, and he's a, and he's another big kid, and we have these moments out there. It'll be you're out there for two and a bit hours and every move you make has to be so precise as you're, you're in seven foot swell. There's uh, it's unforgiving it's freezing wow. cold and it just, it brings out the most in you. And I can so vividly I had a, I had an experience recently mm-hmm. where, you're in a you're in a shipping lane, so you're staying you know out of this. You're trying to stay. You're sorry. You're on the edge of a shipping lane, but on a big storm day, often the ships don't necessarily, the container ships that are coming out through, from Seattle and out Vancouver and out into the ocean. They they don't necessarily stay in that shipping lane. And so I've had this experience where a, a large shipping container's moved into the path in which we were going, and I'm okay. I need to head away from that thing. I know that they how quickly they move and how big they are. And to have the folk you know, a topographic map when you're a kid, you see those topographic maps that the, the contours you can touch, you can feel, and you can see the numbers everywhere to say, okay, well, this is 220, you know, it's 2,200 meters high, this is 2,400 meters high, whatever it is. That appeared in the ocean for me in terms of my, the focus narrowed in my peripheral turned into this wonderful uh, blur, but my, my intense focus of where I needed to go within each wave, it was almost, it wasn't almost, it was I could see that topographic map of, of the ocean in front of me and knew the exact path I needed to go. And after moving away, probably 20 minutes later, I was A, absolutely and utterly spent. I had to just sit on my board for a while. But I was so invigorated by that, such a keen sense of like, oh, that's what that was. Everything slowed down. Everything just went so slowly. And I had absolute fine, finite control of of that dial of exactly where I needed to go and the paths all through the water and the different okay to that wave, link to that wave, that section of that wave, that I need to be just left of that because every little minute detail came and all the textures of the water really illuminated it. It was That was so much fun and you know what that's like when you're descending a big mountain, you're on your bike and every detail just comes into such fine focus because your mind is nowhere else. And that's paddling for me. And that's then having those experiences downwinding. And anyone who does downwinding gets it where you're just like, oh, wow, it's exhilarating because it's also scary. <laughs> um, but the, I also you get into those moments where, you know, in that case, I just had that most profound sense of like, oh, wow, the world just slowed down. And I love that. I love that. I play, when I play soccer, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for those moments where it's, where you're, you have the ball, and you're narrowing down their options, and you're, and everything slows down, and you're saying, in you, your brain, is able to do that? Very, very quick math of, I'm going to do this, you're going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then you're going to do this, then I'm going to present that, then you're going to think that, and then I'm going to go there. And that space, I love that space. That's my favorite thing is when things slow down, and and you're able to do all of the math. Because that's ultimately what it is, isn't it? The whole thing is all about understanding the math and being able to see those numbers appear. And whether that's a texture to the surface you're interacting with, or it's the way in which you're seeing the the game around you, you're understanding all the math. And I love that. I absolutely You can hear it. I love that part. That's my favorite part is when you can see the math. I think the math teachers would agree with that. It's all the math. Evaluation. It It really is. I mean, Stephen Curry, what what he's doing in the NBA right now is he understands the math. He understands. Fun to watch, isn't it? What's that? He's fun to watch. He's so fun to watch. And what you're seeing is an athlete just understand the math at such a high level that he can slow the game down where he's got it. And he's got the whole grid of that. That that basketball court completely mapped in his brain and he understands exactly where every person is and exactly at every angle that everything needs to happen because he understands the math. And I oh, he's so fun to watch.
1: It is, and it's and it's different than than let's say a Kobe or a Michael Jordan who are more forceful and they sort of force their will. He basically um is with the river. He's just going with the flow and 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 taking the obvious because he can see it. You know? So I said, yeah, that's right. I mean, they saw it in their, their way too, and and they
2: uh, to me that's all. It's, it's somewhat the same as they just they, at the highest level, whatever it is you do, whether it's it's music, science, art, and in this case, sport. You're just you see the math and and the preparation for me is all about understanding the math, increasing your your percentages essentially, and preparing yourself that at the highest level, at that finest moment when when everything starts to collapse around other people. That you continue to see the math of, okay, how I can get this done. And uh,
1: I love that part. Me too. I remember doing that with skiing and you go down a long ski slope with bogles and you, and just like you were with the waves, you can see your line, you know, three or four turns before you get there. And you know, you have to sort of veer this way because that's where you're going to want to be four or five turns down the road, you know? Uh, and, and no matter how fast you went, it just felt peaceful and slow, you know?
2: If you ever really get the chance, read. I mean, I can't recommend it more. Josh Waitkin's book, uh, *The Art of Learning*. I think I said this to you before, is, uh, when we were when I was down in LA. It is the most remarkable book, and he just articulates in a way some a language that, that you both will understand. You both will be. I I I. You'll read it and you'll go, "Oh, that's yes, exactly that." Josh Waitkin's this unbelievably accomplished chess player and now martial arts uh, world champion has explained in a book called art of learning he's he's articulated just in the most remarkable way that that right there that that ability to slow it down that ability to see it ahead and and how he how he accomplished and how he not only predicts that but also manufactures that it's a remarkable remarkable book I,
1: i already have it i haven't had a chance to read it yet but i got it already
2: remarkable book absolutely remarkable
0: well, Simon Whitfield, uh, listeners, I told you this was going to be a wild ride. And I really appreciate you spending time with us and coughing up nothing like the typical straightforward, um, you know, robotic athlete type of mindset. And it's just been so fun to follow your career for all these years, you know, dating back to the early 90s and um, just seeing that that special uh, force and application that, yeah, that you, you brought to a grueling and pretty straightforward and simple sport like triathlon, but you made it into an art and had such great success. And now sharing these thoughts with other people, I think it's really valuable. Um, How can we uh, keep in touch with you with the nice blog posts and Twitter and all that you want to give some, some stats up
2: some stats.
0: Oh, uh, contact info. Oh, you, I, I don't know. You can follow me on Twitter. Um, we'll publish your email address if you want, because yeah, I, sure. I know you change it every three weeks back in the day after you won the gold medal, like getting these bounce messages like, wait a second, it worked a few weeks ago. <laughs> it's, I, it's my life. I call it my life with too many inputs. Um,
2: yeah, you know, you can, I guess you can go to Twitter. Uh, that's where I, I i mostly reside, sometimes on Instagram. And I don't know. Yeah, those places, but you. You could say hi to Mark Sisson for me, and, and tell him that uh, that what, what everybody's doing with primal nutrition is great. I, I it's one of the the staples of of the talks I do. Is when people ask me about nutrition, health, and wellness, I often will start by saying, "Well." The first thing you can do is go to marksdailyapple and you'll and you'll get some wonderful information there. And then from there, this, this, and this. But uh, I, what you guys are doing with Primal, and, and then to be able to reconnect with you guys today, it's great. I really appreciate it. I uh, it's fun to chat through and play back the flashbacks of something that happened so long ago yet plays such a funny prominent role in my life at times.
0: Simon Whitfield from Victoria, British Columbia on the line with Andrew McNaughton and Brad Kearns. Thank you so much for listening to the Primal Blueprint podcast. Love you, brothers. Talk to you soon. Da, da, da Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low impact options, an assortment of high intensity interval training and high intensity repeat training strategies a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you and you get one-on-one expert email support and private facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified so go to primal health Coach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding, this is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at Primal Health slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. I hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to check out the Primal Endurance Mastery course at primalendurance.fit. This is the ultimate online educational experience where you can learn from the world's great coaches and trainers, diet, peak performance, and recovery experts, as well as lengthy one-on-one interviews from several of the greatest endurance athletes of all time, not published anywhere else. It's a major educational experience with hundreds of videos, but you can get free access to a mini-course with an e-book summary of the Primal Endurance Approach and nine step-by-step videos on how to become a Primal Endurance Athlete. This mini-course will help you develop a strong basic understanding of this all-encompassing approach to endurance training that includes Primal-aligned eating to escape carbohydrate dependency and enhance fat metabolism, building an aerobic base with comfortably paced workouts, strategically introducing high-intensity strength and sprint workouts, emphasizing rest, recovery, and annual periodization, And finally, cultivating an intuitive approach to training instead of the usual robotic approach of fixed weekly workout schedules. Just head over to primalendurance.fit and learn all about the course and how we can help you go faster and preserve your health while you're at it.